Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to another episode of Out of Oz, a podcast of Building 28 Church, where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern Christian culture with compassion, courage, and conviction. My host, my typical host is out today. He's not able to make it. That would be Peter. Shout out to Peter. Um, So I'm filling in. We'll see how I do. But taking the Christian world by storm, particularly in the last year and a half, but really it's everywhere you look right now. The media is saturated with it. It's pressed by many educational circles. Uh, Even some within the evangelical ranks is the idea of critical race theory. But it would seem that Christians are uninformed um, on what CRT is and divided on how it should be handled. And therefore, the glaring question unfolds before us. Should followers of Christ embrace parts or all the theory or reject and denounce it completely? And joining me on the podcast to help answer those questions today, I have Shane Scott. Shane, thanks for being here, man. Yeah. Pleasure to be That's how guys. we do things here on Out of Oz. Yeah, no, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Um, Shane is the uh, executive pastor at Legacy Church St. Pete, nine months and one day <laughs> yes. and counting today. Uh, and he's also on the board with Man Up and Go, a mission organization that we love and support here at Building 28. And so excited to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. So also, it seems like from okay. uh, we've had minor interactions, pretty heavily involved with the Southern Baptist Convention right now. And well, I was uh, I used to be a deacon over at Calvary before okay. going to uh, building. I'm sorry, not building Twain, but going down to Legacy, and didn't grow up Baptist, but have been around it for quite some time, and really want to see how we're going to move forward because it is the largest denomination right now. Sure. So we can speak with some authority on that, and if we don't abdicate that role, I think we have a chance to be very influential in how Mm -hmm. things like CRT are are being addressed and other issues that are around. So I've been from a distance kind of just monitor what's going on. And it has been swirling in the SBC for the last three or four years now. And even in the convention like today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the convention's actually going on as we record this episode. um, And uh, there is a joint statement that's coming out, which you'll be able to find. But uh, also here on the podcast with me, Mm -hmm. no stranger to Out of Oz. (laughs) Not at all. No stranger to the listeners, no stranger to the viewers. His pretty face is here. Deshaun Cousins. Right, Deshaun dude. Boogie Cousins. Yeah. DC. Yeah. Yeah. And that name just and, uh, for the comics. Yeah, he's just, yeah. <laughs> he is our former, by the time this comes out, That's pastoral resident. Yeah, oh, but oh, now oh, he yeah, is promoted to assistant pastor of or education and up. students. Okay. Makes me sound a little bit smart. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. A little bit smart. smart. This, this guy's brilliant over oh, here. Yeah, brilliant. And um, Got a broke jump shot, though. But I was going to say, no one listening probably cares, but Deshaun and I actually hooped together for the first time last night, and it was... It was beautiful on his end. It was rather ugly on <laughs> no, mine. But Deshaun uh, can actually play. <laughs> um, want to plug something before we kind of get underway sure. here. Deshaun and I are going to be leading a class on mm-hmm. uh, the tides of culture and the storms of culture this fall, really, as the school year gets underway. The end of August, it'll be every other week, running for eight weeks. And we're going to address things like feminism in America, issues of race in America, things like critical race theory, um, gender identity, sexuality, all the hot topics that come up and what scripture has to say to those. And so mark your calendars for that. And uh, to kind of get us in that vein today, our discussion, as I already said, is on critical race theory. So here's here's how we're going to start. We're going to begin the discussion with a direct question for each one of us, even though I'm playing moderator and host here, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to answer it as well. That's Very all right. You. Um, and the question is... This and then we're going to unpack it. But the question is: Should Christians embrace all, some, or none of critical race theory? I'm going to start with you, Shawnee. I knew it was going to come my way. So please listen to the rest of the podcast before I say. So I would say some, and it's it's rare that I can say that there's no truth in any particular philosophy mm-hmm. um, that can come about. And so even with this one, I'm ha- I have my issues, which we'll hear about as we proceed on. But I will say some, and I'll explain more a little bit later on in the podcast. All right, Shane? Uh, likewise. Uh, there's one of the things that I uh, came to realize when I was living in Jerusalem is that truth is truth, even if it comes from the mouth of a liar, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. And there's 
there's some truth in what critical race theory is trying to address. And I think the church needs to recognize that and step forward in leading the discussion around the truth they're trying to address. But yeah, like Deshaun and I'm assuming other people, there's they've gone astray and the yeah. church has not corrected it, but really just kind of said no. And they need to, we need to be a correcting body. That's what we're there to do, to yeah. be the salt, to be the light, and to shine light on things that need to be addressed in a way that's biblically based. And I don't think we've done that with this. I would agree with you guys that there is, there are elements of truth in this system, mm-hmm. in, in this ideology, and what I would argue is a worldview um, that, that addresses much of how we function and who we are uh, as, as human beings living here, particularly in this context in America. However, there are some ideologies for me that are so atrocious in how they present the, my, the, the small fractions of truth. All truth being God's truth. Agree with you, Shane. All truth is God's truth. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the enemy cannot invent truth. They can only manufacture lies. And so all truth being God's truth. But when it comes to certain systems of thought like critical race theory, I think if you're very informed about it, you can draw insights into it. Mm-hmm. But I would take more of the approach of steering quick Christians away from it in totality because there's so much, as we'll, as we'll get into, there's so much of a lie or a divisiveness that's there that is very difficult for me. So while there is little bits and pieces, as there is in almost any worldview mm-hmm. for that matter, I, I struggle a lot with ever directing a Christian to study and to embrace even parts of it because there's so many other good systems, obviously scripture, we'd all agree, being foremost, that presents the the idea of original sin and the anthropology, like the idea yeah. of anthropology and, and soteriology salvation. So um with that said, that's kind of that's kind of the positions we're gonna take. Um with so many misconceptions though, circulating around and misrepresentations. Because that's everywhere on both sides of the political climate, of the evangelical climate. Um, People are creating straw men everywhere and erecting them and blasting them down when it comes to so many of these cultural issues. But particularly right now, uh, you see it on news channels and you see it on YouTube and you read about it and you hear about CRT. I think it's important that we give those listening and watching today a clear understanding of exactly or as exactly as we can frame it, yeah. what CRT, what critical race theory is. And so Shane, can you, would, you, would you mind kind of kicking us off in that direction? All right. So my understanding, because there's so many different things that are out there, but my understanding from the original kind of writers of the theory is that primarily during the time of uh, colonialism and the kind of the imperial dynasties that were created, there were structures created and put in place that promoted a cultural understanding. And one of the things that I I want us to get to as we start to talk about like definitions and and operational language for what we're trying to discuss today, there was a push for certain kind of cultural norms to be adopted when people started to push, whether it was Manifest Destiny or Sun Never Sets on the British Empire, whatever the case is. And the structures that were created there were designed to give a preference to the majority culture coming in, um, completely pushing aside any of the indigenous culture that was there. And then even to the point of um, of debasing that culture. And I really want to make a difference. And this is what I, I want to really kind of highlight on is that when we continue to talk about things as being racist mm-hmm. or race-based, we are creating, because I believe race is a social construct, we're creating something that is that is just that. It's constructed as not something that is innate to who we are. The pigmentation that we have, Mm -hmm. the melanation that we have, the coloring that we have, that is unique to who we are. And that is not necessarily something that is completely associated with culture, right? But often is in terms of um, how you look. And I think what critical race theory is, is, in my opinion, saying is that when those different nations came, predominantly European, predominantly lighter in pigmentation created structural situations in government, in um, finance, in um, education that were designed to keep mostly people of color and indigenous to those cultures at a sub-level. And so although those things through things like um, the the stopping of apartheid or um, civil rights movement have been addressed legally, you have a lot of things that were moved into more of a covert kind of operation that 
now have embedded themselves into the system. So you have people who are living as fish in water, they don't know they're wet. And I don't think that is only for people who are white or people who are of color. I think it's part of the system. Where I think critical uh, race theory makes a a faux pas and steps to the wrong direction is saying that all of these things are always intentional. And I don't think they are. I think it becomes so so systemic that you're not aware of it on either side. And as we get into it, we can talk about different things that have been done, studies have been put out where you see people making judgments where they're quote unquote not even aware of what they're doing because it's so much a part of the ethos of what we're living in. So critical race theory is saying that that when the imperialization colonization took place, there were structures created to completely um, push down, ostracize, marginalize people predominantly of color who were from those different cultures. And as a result, it's forever skewed. And those who were born in the majority culture are intentionally choosing to be oppressors. And those who were born in the minority culture are by default always the victim. And you would, so you're, you're saying your, your primary beef with CRT is that you don't think it's intentional. You think it's there. These structures are there it, from, from your estimation and, and your perspective and what you've gathered. But yeah. you don't think it's necessarily intentional all the time. For the most part, I think it's not anymore. Okay. I, think, gotcha. I think a lot of things that were highlighted through movements such as civil rights, such as, um, you know, what Muhammad Gandhi has done with peace and also what was going on um, in South Africa, the Ubuntu, my humanity is recognized by how I treat you. It really sure. determines my level of humanity. That people are aware of it. The issue is it's so systemic and so woven into the the very fabric and creation of a place like America, into the foundation of what was created for America, that when we start to pull on that thread, people freak out because now what I understand to be America, I'm realizing might be completely gone once we address this. In my opinion, because a church won't come in and say, how do we address this in a way that still holds dignity for the people who are made in the Imago Dei, right? Sure. Yeah. How do we still understand some of the things that are culturally unique to who we are, the melting pot concept, right? But still address what we know is a sin, what we know is not right. And I personally think that the church, Big C, has abdicated that role, especially in America. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I think we have to be looking at what, is, what are they trying to get through, through eyes and a heart that is not in tune to God, sure. that we need to be able to say, okay, this is what I think God is trying to say here. How do we as a church step in and become a part of the solution rather than just saying, no, that's wrong. Sure. Yeah. Because there's, there's parts that are, I, I believe, wrong, right? Sure. And so, yeah. 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 Deshaun, what do you, what do you have oh, kind man. of to add into that? There's, there's a, this is a convoluted issue. Yeah. Almost <laughs> definitely. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> a lot there. And I mean, yeah. that's why thousands of not just Southern Baptists, but Methodist, Presbyterian, across the reform folk. Um, I'm, we're part of Acts 29 here. And it's mm-hmm. very divided in Acts 29 of how to deal with this, how to handle CRT. What would you have to add to what Shane um, so as, as you were talking, I was just thinking about some of those concepts and even starting back with Karl Marx. And I know Marxisms mm-hmm. can be a dirty word for some people, but just thinking of his viewpoint of just society that it's divided between oppressed and oppressor. Mm-hmm. And that the main things that people are fighting over is food, housing, employment, education, and leisure. So mm-hmm. those being the main things that people are vying for. And so some others, which we see um, when it came to critical theory, which is the before um, critical race theory, it's taking these things, these main resources and showing how are they divided amongst people. Mm-hmm. And so as I look at that and I see that whole th- thought process starting from Marx, then the Frankfurt School, and then when we come to just the the words of it of critical in theory, critical first and foremost, as you think about it, and this is one of my main problems with it, it's not actually interested in necessarily reforming, but revolution. Um, a lot of when you hear the proponents of it, it's more of how can we upend the entire system instead of reforming. And so, for example, you'll Fight hear <laughs> instead of um, instead of, you know, we need to reform the police. It's just completely defunded. Some people completely get rid of them. Yeah. And so you'll have things like that. And then the second part of just a theory. And for them, it's their set of ideas, their modes of thoughts, their ethics, their methods. And so that's one of my big issues is because they have a theory, a mindset, a worldview, ultimately, that is about upending and not necessarily reforming. That's some of the problems, at least for me, when I think about critical race theory and then obviously taking that critical theory and just applying that to um, the topic of race. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to CRT, I I appreciate 
what both you guys are saying because there's there's so much contained here and trying to trying to boil it down to a simplistic level for the the listener who is confused about it or doesn't understand it 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 is a little convoluted yeah. right? it's it's kind of intense but the the primary idea is that there's a there's an oppressive group of people or class and there's a an oppressed class mm-hmm. uh, according to and even if you take Marx out of the equation with his kind of classical theory the the Frankfurt school and Gramsci and and so forth in the early 20th century kind of pushed this idea forward of an oppressive class I don't think too many people are denying that that exists that there's some type in every context in every culture in particular here in the United States that there is a class that either is oppressed or feels oppressed whether that is now critical theory as a whole would say that includes any minority or oppressed group. So that would be mm-hmm. not only race intention, but also um, women are oppressed. Um, yeah. Typically, non-Judeo-Christian are oppressed as far as critical theory so would see it. Intersectionality. Um, intersectionality is introduced in there. There's different ways. We talked about this on a previous podcast, our yeah. social justice podcast from last season with another Man Up member, Luke mm-hmm. Sawyer. Mm-hmm. But um, but that that's basically that is the idea is there's an identification. That's one of the main issues we're going to get to. There's an identification placed on people. Either you are part of the oppressive class or you're part of the oppressed class. And according to critical theory, if you're part of that oppressed class, there's no way that you want to be part of that. You're always going to be and you can show contrition and there can be corporate repentance and all these manifestations we've seen. But you're always going to be part of that. And so um, it splits people even in the church into oppressive class or oppressed class while acknowledging that CRT is a diverse movement. Uh, Richard Delgado, who's kind of like one mm-hmm. of the brainchilds of CRT, he's a scholar. He wrote, I think he wrote his book is entitled Introduction to Critical yeah. Race Theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has helpfully isolated the key five emphasis of CRT. And I just wanted to ask you guys about each one of those today and what, yeah. what you kind of affirm, what you denounce, what you think of these, where you think they went astray, whatever. So uh, number one, the first key emphasis is racism is not the exception to the rule in American society. This is from Delgado, but racism is the rule. It's just it's just ingrained in the very fabric. It is normal. It's it's there. It's ever present. Now, I understand that CRT might define racism differently than a historic understanding of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so historically, I think we would understand racism as the marginalization or hatred of somebody based on the color of their skin. Um, whereas some of a lot of CRT, I think, from my understanding, it is more about the oppressive versus oppressing class. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's more about group identity and systemic. But what do we what do we think? Deshaun, I'll start with you. Racism is just woven into the fabric of society. It's not the exception to the rule in American society. I didn't give you guys these five beforehand, but no, you're uh, good. I'm no, not sure you studied it. So, uh, no, no, no. So okay. what, what are your thoughts about it? So, I mean, wording of saying woven, because I, I cannot deny that art, racism has played a part in America's history. We understand as we just look back in, not even that far back in 50 years, of just different issues that have come about. But at the same exact time, kind of what we were getting at before, that though our past has issues, or even if you look back 50 years to maybe our great-grandparents or whoever it may be, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody now is still racist. And so because of that, and from my understanding of that definition or that first part, I can say that the past may have issues, but the present doesn't necessarily have that. Um, so I believe there are, but I don't think that every person is just inherently racist or that every system that we have is automatically inherently racist because of issues and things from the past. Do you think there's a do you think racism can be unintentional? I mean, Shane kind of mentioned this, but do you think it can be unintentional? It's just kind of, uh, I guess, it, my understanding is kind of under the surface, you were kind of bred and raised a certain way. And the preferences that you have or the systems that you enjoy, um, that there can be kind of an unintentional aspect of racism. Do you think, do you agree with that or affirm that? So I would say it depends on how you define racism. Because okay. So if you use your first one where it's an intentional, um, either malice or some kind of marginalization towards black people or just any minority, um, then necessarily then it, it couldn't be unintentional in that, in that definition. But if you take a different definition where it's just you emphasizing your cultural norms or you know anybody's thought process in that way, then I get how they can see it in that vantage point. And so based on the way that I define and understand racism, I go 
closer towards the first one of it being an intentional marginalization. So I think there's things that you can do that may be offensive to people, but to lead somebody and say that they are racist because they do something that's offensive to you or may go against their culture. I think we're going to a place where we're trying to place intent and motivation upon people that might actually be there. And so I believe, which we've talked about in prior podcasts of having intentional conversations with people whenever there is some sense of, all right, that was offensive to me. And somebody might just not even understand. They may just not understand that something is culturally insensitive to say or do. And so having that conversation, and if they say, all right, no, 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 I'm still going to do it, then it could be problematic. But 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 I think the argument, and maybe Shane, you'll make this argument, is that part of them not understanding is is part of that that born privilege that they might have, whether whatever it might look like, whether it's a socioeconomic privilege or a white privilege or you know whatever. But part of it is there's a, a callousness, at least as the argument goes that I've heard. There's a callousness on the part of of more of the oppressive class to not, especially within Christianity, to not seek to understand and show deference to those. You know, and so um, Shane, what are, what are your thoughts? Is that how you see it or? I believe, and I think there's there's documents, there's, I mean, documents from foundation and just things that have gone on with governmental blessing. Things have been woven, and I'll use that word, woven or laid in the foundation of America that have set up things to be based on color. Sure. And as a result, because it's so much like that, you're unaware of it. It's, it's the, you know, I, I love the concept of a fish in water. On a fish in water, it doesn't matter what's going on. This is how I breathe, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And until you're taken out of water, you're like, oh, whoa, hold on a second. I'm not used to this. You don't realize that something's wrong. You know, everything went crazy May 25th, right, when uh, Floyd was murdered. And then even before that, you had um, Ahmaud Arbery, and you're just trying to deal with all this madness. Sure. And I remember, I can't remember his name now, but um, Sterling, Sterling Wright? I think, I think Sterling Brown. Brown. Well, anyways, the, the guy who's in, um, is in This Is Us and also Sterling oh, K. Sure, got you. Yeah, right. And he talked about running with the mask on, that it's just hard to breathe. But this is what I need to do right now because we all have to have this mask on. And I remember watching it and starting to realize I figured out how to put the mask on. And rather than saying the game is rigged, I figured out how to play the game. And so what that does, it allows me to be able to move in different circles, to be able to, to quote unquote, get ahead or get what I need, because I understand how to make people who've been, in my opinion, conditioned, regardless of your um, pigmentation, melanation, have been conditioned to see things a certain way, comfortable around me. Right. And so that allows me access to different groups and can move whatever. But as a Christian, I shouldn't be saying, okay, let me figure out how to play the game. I got to call the game out for what it is and say, we need to fix this. I appreciate that. I think for me, when it comes to this first point, I think for sure and certain, we've talked about this in the podcast, I've talked about from the pulpit here, racism exists. Racism exists in mass in America. And when I, when I say that, I believe individual racism specifically exists. I think it's just there. Uh, we grew up, I grew up in the Dirty South. I grew up in North Georgia. Um, actually, the headquarters of the KKK back in mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s, uh, Forsyth County, Georgia. Um, and then moved to the Panhandle. And I, I saw it. I heard it in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in Pensacola. I heard it in Gainesville, Georgia. I saw it in my school. Um, I saw it in my church even. So, like, I do not deny that that still exists in America, unfortunately. And I think there is a cultural aspect of it. How much of that is systemically woven into the fabric? The jury, as I have said many times, is still out for me on that. But I think that parents, racist parents on all sides are still instilling certain thought processes and and values culturally into their children that then carries on. And so there are, whether or not it's being kind of, it's pervasive in the culture as a whole, I'm not sure personally, but what I do see is within family structures that there is a certain way that certain white people look at minorities and certain way that even minorities look at white people. And I, so I do think that that is there as far as kind of what CRT would teach from my understanding is that almost everything you do is racist, especially if you're part of the oppressive class. Um, the only thing that you do that's not racist is part of the oppressive class. 
is what you deny yourself of for the betterment of the oppressed class. And so um, that's, that's point number one. Point number two, really quick here, is the oppressive majority, Delgado argues, will typically make concessions to the oppressed minority only when they themselves benefit. <laughs> so the oppressed majority will make concessions and defer to and seek to help the oppressed minority only when they themselves benefit. Shane, thoughts on that? You know, whenever you start saying always or only, sure, sure. <laughs> you start negating stuff. Um, when I say that there have been governmental things that have happened in the U.S. even recently, when I say recently within the last 50, 25 years or so, 25 years even, that would beckon to that? I think so. I mean, I think, again, I don't think it's it's universal. I don't think it's always like that because, again, I don't think that you're always in this class. I think sure. there's a an intentionality that needs to be there. But- as humans, and again, look, if you don't claim Christ and have the Spirit, sure. I don't expect you to be able to do much of anything yeah. to move in that direction. We're going to look out for the preservation of ourselves. So when we think about these things where that whatever, whatever you're doing is always for your benefit before you do it, you see, I don't think you see that in certain cases like, you know, Brown versus a Board of Education. That didn't necessarily help, if anything, and made schools more competitive <laughs> when they brought yeah. other people in, right? So that, well, I guess people say, well, then we started winning championships or whatever the case may be. But I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's always there. Sure. Have things happen where the end result is I'm able to be in a certain way, like redlining. That allowed people to, to kind of cut off neighborhoods. Yeah. Like, you have a place, but now we're going to do it. And then after we redlined, we went ahead and said, okay, so now we're going to take universal taxes paying for schools to zip code taxes paying for schools. And if there's no one owning in that school or owning in that place or paying taxes in that place, the amount of money that's available for you to be able to educate is a lot less than someplace else. So although you now have a space, you now have access to a suburb, you now have access to a job, but now that job is out there and you don't have a car and there's no public transportation going out there, what is the benefit? Like, in Chicago, this is where I cut my teeth, grew up, started teaching everything. Caprini Green is, or was, a five-minute walk from the loop. Sure. One of the roughest projects in the, in the history of projects, right? Once people started saying the suburbs are too far, I don't want to fight this traffic, we're coming in. They literally took everyone from Caprini Green and put them out in Aurora. That's like going from here to East Tampa. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. How in the world am I going to keep my job in Chicago if now I'm living in Aurora? And the same place that I taught kids fifth through eighth grade how to be able to start their own business, where you had people with one bedroom, two bedroom apartments, in a year's time, that same, literally that same lot had studio apartments going for 500 grand after mm-hmm. they just moved people out. What was the benefit of that? It wasn't for them to get a better education. It wasn't for them to get better paying jobs. Sure. None of those things were of benefit for the people that they made a concession. Oh, we're going to give you a two-bedroom house instead of a one-bedroom house. We're going to work with you on this aspect. We're going to allow you to have nothing. None none of that stuff happened. But now I'm not driving through traffic. I'm living with a gorgeous view of the loop. So, I mean, so you seize up and you wrestle with whether or not this really was for the benefit of the people who were there. Definitely. No, I I appreciate that. I I think for me... um, I think uh, actually J.D. Greer shared a message this past week at uh, the Southern Baptist Convention about yeah, how good. Uh, the some quote tuning in about how the church, when they embrace fully embrace and start to buy into political structures on the right or the left, mm-hmm. become kind of this. He didn't phrase it this way. This is how I'd phrase it. But kind of this bastard child is born of yep. of uh, that's that's not really gospel oriented. Now yeah. it's 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 either. Uh, Republican or Democratic born. And so for me personally, uh, I don't really get entrenched in politics. It was an ugly year last year for the church when Mm -hmm. it came to politics. Um, Churches everywhere from what I hear heard. And I personally don't trust the Republicans or the Democrats in high places typically. I I know there might be some exceptions there. And when I hear this statement, uh, the statement being that the oppressive class will only do what is right or make concessions for or defer to the oppressed class when it benefits them, I do think of the political constructs on both sides of my mind. However, I vehemently disagree with the statement when it comes to individuals, particularly in the church. While there are some in the church that might be, might have 
received, let's say, generational wealth or a position or status or whatever it might be, and they're clinging to that and they're not showing grace and they're not showing gospel generosity. I have seen again and again, having come from obviously a white background, but also a very impoverished background myself, I have seen where those who claim Christ and even those who don't, in fairness, those who might be listening who aren't Christians, but they're just Mm -hmm. kind of aware of this, they're moral citizens where they will defer to, and you could argue, and I get it that we do when we talk about total depravity, yeah. you could argue that no one outside of Christ does, truly does any good deed without a sinful motivation for doing mm-hmm. so. But within the church, I see Christians who are deferring to and and serving with, like I see, for example, our church going down to high point and serving those in need and who are uh, working poor families with, I don't think any ulterior motive there, is that how you see it, Deshaun, or do you see it differently there? So I want to kind of take a step back for a second. Um, one to read a passage because I think this is kind of my big issue with a lot of these topics, and I also put it at the forefront. As Aaron said, I'm a pastor, and so I try as much as I can not to try to advise people as much on political theory and how they should understand politics and all the ways that government and things along that lines work. But the way I see this influence in the church and my problem with it, as I said before, my issues is from 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16, it says this. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I read that passage because... Critical race theory at its core and its basis is dividing us upon something that Christ calls us not to be divided upon. So it puts us in the class of oppressed and oppressor. But in reality, the two ways that we should see all of humanity is either those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And so because that basis is off of that, it is putting too much motivation on. So, for example, if somebody is in the oppressed class and they're a Christian, they're a white male um, Christian they're placing motive on that person that I would not place upon them. Mm-hmm. I would assume the best of my brother, as First Corinthians 13 tells us, of love, I'm going to hope the best in my brother. And my problem with theories like this and things along this lines, it's putting too much negative motivation upon people instead of actually interacting with people, knowing people, and hoping and wishing for the best. Because as Scripture teaches us to regard those who are in Christ, to love them as brothers— for those who are not in Christ, to hope to see them saved and evangelize them and things along that nature. And so that's one of my main issues with this um, particular question and this viewpoint to see everything in oppressed and oppressor mm-hmm. and the oppressed looking down to uh, make concessions only when it's in their own benefit. Well said. Um, so I'm going to stay, stick with you, Deshaun, for tenant number three here really quick, because Shane's already mentioned this, actually. And I agree with Shane on this. But a third tenant of critical race theory is that race is the product of social construction. Yeah. Like you agree with that? Oh, I'll be simple is it's socially constructed and another one of those basis that it's not reality in the sense of anything inherent. And so because of that, it's already starting off on the wrong basis. And, and Shane, you had affirmed that earlier as well, right? Yeah, most socially okay. constructed. And so let me ask you guys this then, as as a white dude who's sitting here who who kind of grew up seeing racism take place, particularly toward black communities and black individuals. That was particularly how it was in North Georgia. Um and not understand that it was not it was not taught in my home like the opposite was taught that it's that is a sin which obviously scripture would affirm it is a sin mm-hmm. racism is a sin um and so what was taught in my home was this idea of color blindness which has become like a dirty word now mm-hmm. that like if, if if racism is a social construct and it's not a biblical or scientific thing that that all of human dna all of us are 99.8 percent alike mm-hmm. and it's just the pigment of our skin what is wrong then, or is there something wrong with the idea, Shane, I'll go to you, like with the, uh, the idea of teaching my children, hey, you don't see color then, like you just, you see a man, a woman, you see a, you know, a potential child of God, like is that, is that a proper way to teach or would you say that that, that misses the point or should we should direct our children elsewhere? Okay. Discussion? I happened to get an email back in 2012 that it was a white guy who's married to a black woman and he was saying, you know, one of the things that I, I hope we start to remember is that the example of God's or Christ's love for the church and his willingness, willingness to sacrifice for his bride, yeah. the marriage relationship 
is not going to continue on in eternity. They're not given in marriage in eternity. But every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around that glass, you see. And something about the way that we are melanated, the coloring that we have, the cultural nuances that we possess, is something that God wants to continue on. You know, I, and I teach, and I love what um, um, MLK said, you know, by the content of their character. Sure. And I want Absolutely. our kids to see that. Yeah. But there's something unique about the cultural uniqueness of how we are built and designed that are tied to our colorization often, right? Mm-hmm. That I don't want us to just ignore. I, I want you to embrace the fact. And that's what I love about getting out of America and, and sure. or even just getting out of your cultural norm and being around people who interact in a different way, who joke with their parents a different way, who eat different types of foods, who engage with different things. And again, a lot of that is often connected with our colorization, right? Sure. But I think the and, question is, does it have to be? Like, like because there's cultures within like within the white definitely. world, for example, there's so, there's the Irish culture and there's the yeah. Southern culture and there's the, yeah. the San Franciscan culture. When we went out there, it's totally different than, yeah. you know, and so does it like, because we all would affirm here revelation that there will be tribes. And Kendra, I had a, a professor in Bible college who said there'll be tribes and there'll be tongues and there'll be nations, yeah. but there won't be races. That, that was his contention. And so while it is, as far as we understand it, because of a social construct, yeah. I think, tied to our colorization, does it have to be? Like, can it just be there's, like that we celebrate cultures, you know, well, instead of. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, but there's, they're not always tied to just the color. Like in Jamaica, I mean, sure. Well, someone who would shot like what straight up popped well with you is Asian, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it, yeah, I tell you, the first time I saw it, it freaked me out because I'd never seen that before, right? You can't, the reason why I don't think you can do that is because we live here. And you start to see this early with, uh, with the sandlot, right? When kids are on the sandlot, they're playing. Yeah. And you can tell the kids who have been culturally taught to, to fear the other. Sure. Yeah. You see them, they, they'll choose to pull back, even though all the other kids are playing, the ones that have been taught that already will pull back or will be aggressive in some way. But if you just let them go, they will find a way to play. Sure. And then you notice with us who are older, we'll, we'll sit in groups together or we'll yeah. congregate, right? Why are all the black kids sitting together? Because it's comfortable, right? Yeah. Because we've been conditioned like that. Before that can happen, we get there. But it's not it's not a teaching of there is no color. It's It's understanding that... They're different because my hair is different than yours. Sure. You know, and there's things that I deal with, (laughs) you know, like I got to use lotion or it looks like I'm kicking bags of flour. (laughs) So those are things that are unique to us because of our color. So that's why I would I would push back a little bit against the color blindness, but really kind of embrace. I want to hit on that that point really quickly, because that was one of the questions that me and my wife were having. So my wife is Puerto Rican. Obviously, I'm black. And so our daughter's mixed. And so she has very curly hair. And so we had to think through how do we teach her about that? And that very topic of the whole colorblind came up between me and my wife. And one of my things is simply, it's not even true to say that we're truly colorblind because you do see my color. I see yours. And so we see one another's color. So I think it has to move from saying being colorblind, but just, all right, that's celebrating. This person's black. This person's white. We have fellow, especially amongst believers that we can have fellowship, that I can hang out with a 70-year-old white woman and we can be able to talk and converse about the Lord. That's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. We should celebrate it instead of saying that doesn't exist. And that's where I'm moving. And one of the things, and this is what we push back on critical theory, I think all of us, one of the things I've appreciated about you so much, Deshaun, is you said, I hate when people see me as a black man and they just assume... Yeah, I'm just like every black man in the world. Yeah. Or, and I hate that as a, as a white man, too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I do not want to be defined. I do want what MLK said is should be so true. And I think critical race theory actually denies that it becomes about the color of your skin yeah. more than the content of your character. Yeah. And it should be the content of our character. And that's what I want my children to understand. I love seeing Evie, my little girl, play with Eden and, yeah. and then just play together and hopefully grow in recognizing you're you look different than I am. Yeah. But the most important thing, which we'll get to here in a second, is. Like, what do we do with Jesus? Like, what, what, what do we do there There's, while still celebrating cultural differences and maybe even race, racial differences, celebrating them instead of marginalizing your And there's an intentionality between you putting your kids together. Sure. And that's, I think that's the big thing missing in this is that there's not an intentional, we fear what we don't know. It's not okay that a kid comes to a place like Wheaton and Wheaton is doing a ton to get better, but I love sure. my school, but I will talk about it. <laughs> it's not okay that a kid comes to Wheaton at the age of 18, and I'm the first person he's sitting down and having a conversation with who doesn't look like his uncle, his brother, his dad, 
or his grandfather. That's not all right. It wasn't okay that people go to a college that's a Christian college sure. and they can graduate without taking a class with someone who looks like their aunt yeah. or their mom. Yeah. They only are, I mean, and that's, we've got, if we're trying to prepare people because Wheaton's motto is for Christ and his kingdom and then for churches, especially as leaders in churches, how are we are equipping these saints because the majority of the world is of a different race than you are, whoever you are, right? And so how are we equipping these saints to do these works, to be able to share the gospel, to take a position of being humble, being vulnerable, saying, help me understand where you are so I can help lead you to the cross, lead you to Christ, right? And that happens by having an intentionality in putting yourself in positions where you're not the majority. That's even for people of color. Like get out of there and be around people who are different than you. So you learn to take a place of humility and vulnerability. So you're saying, Shane, and maybe to Sean as well, that though race is a social construct, we have to deal with it now as a social construct. We yeah. have to face it. Yeah. If, if this had never become the social construct, then we could just we live our lives yeah, as white exactly. men, black men, brown yeah. men, and, and just be able to go yeah. about life. But okay. Um, so a, a fourth tenet really quick here. People can participate in multiple categories of oppression. This is what has become known as intersectionality since 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a child of the Frankfurt School on Critical Race Theory, or really just critical theory in general, because it encompasses more than just race. It encompasses, so the idea here really simplistically, and then I'll have you guys answer if you think this is true, which um, we'll see, but uh, intersectionality teaches that Still the same critical theory, oppressor, oppressed class, but the more kind of march you have against you or for you increases your level of oppressing people or increases your level of oppression. So, for example, if you are a minority in America, you have one weight of oppression, but your wife as a minority in America, Puerto Rican, um, Deshaun, would have two levels of oppression Mm -hmm. against her as a woman because men are the oppressive class, according to critical theory, well, and white men are the oppressive class. And so as a minority woman, she has two. If if a lady is minority, lady, and immigrant, um, immigrant yeah, is, is yeah. another one, or um, transgender, or a, or a lesbian. Like So these these intersections of weight. So all of a sudden, you have really the train can be, as we've talked about, it could be endless. I mean, you could keep on adding more and more weight. Do you agree with that or um, with any part of intersectionality, or do you... Deny that, Sean. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, look. I'm sorry. I'm gonna keep just coming back to it. The whole basis that they use is for me is just wrong. Um, what I would say, and, and I'll interject this as I said from the beginning of some of the sum of the things I see that we can utilize from CRT and maybe not just CRT, but just in general, is a understanding of our. It is made it more difficult for some people in some ways. But for me to then say that they must be treated specially or treated um, in a particular way that would be outside of the norm, that's where my issues come again, where it's still trying to use classes or categories that the scriptures do not give us or don't even tell us to fit people within. I think those are problematic, but I still at the same time, I do understand that there are things we should do and help for those who are in more difficult situations. But so, yeah. Okay. So, so. Sort of not. That's, that's what I'm saying. So it, it's, 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 that's what I'm saying. It's one of those things where I do not agree with the classification intersectionality and in its ultimate um, aim, however it shall be. But understanding that, all right, there's difficulties. There's more, you know, when it may be complex for somebody in a particular situation. But I don't come all the way down to the end, if that makes sense. Sure, okay. Say I think it's hard for us to speak to that as one male in a very matriarchal society. You know, no one knows I'm an immigrant when I walk down the street, right? And I don't much of that, so I wanted to come back every now and then, but so when I speak, no one, those things aren't assigned to me. And when you start to talk with people who are female, have an accent, are of a minority culture, you see it. Sure. You see it. Like my sister, for example. I mean, she holds her PhD. She's the provost of a college. She's killing it. But you talk with her about what it was like in different places. We'll never understand that. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll never understand that. There are things, again, because we live here, right? Sure. And this is that hard part of being people who are in the world but not of the world. 
and what we've been called to do is we have to spend more time listening to and hearing those stories, not to completely coddle or to whatever, but to say, okay, the game is rigged. So what am I going to do about it? Because now I understand how to play the game and I can play to win. But is that creating equity for everybody who's here? There's a difference between equity and equality, right? Sure. No, I, w- I wanted to add in something to clarify. And when you said it, it made me think more about it is, so in looking at art, there's differences and stuff like that. My, my main thing is to not then elevate and automatically say, because you fall into these categories, your voice holds more power or is actually more true. So I think whether, you know, yeah. different experiences, they happen. I'm not disagreeing with them, but it doesn't make somebody more true or more um, able to be able to speak because they have multiple levels. And that that's more so what I was getting well, at. Well, that's right tenant number five, which yeah. we can go ahead and tie to number four. And that mm-hmm. is that um, people that are part of the, particularly in critical race theory, so people that are minority, but really when you come, when it comes to intersectionality, anybody who's part of the oppressed class, yeah. um, their experience, their insights, their emotional response to that is elevated to a point which I would imagine makes you guys sick of, of not 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 the idea of there's verification or or weight given or empathy toward an experience a bad experience that might have, mm-hmm. but the idea that what critical race theory has done now is it's assigned certain things in the Western culture that you you know you're talking Shane about how we were founded and how things are kind of kind of are now, but. Um, the idea, like when the Smithsonian came out last year with the, these ideas of hard work or the nuclear family are yeah. white privilege ideals. Yeah. And you're just going, you're just going, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we've gone way down yeah. this trail now yeah. of of departure. I think that's that's where it comes in when we go, when we start taking objective realities, um, especially scripture, mm-hmm. and it becomes in the church subservient. So I agree with Shane that we should hear people's experiences. We should empathize with them. We should try to parse through with them. We should give them gospel counsel on these things. But scripture is always going to be paramount on this on this stuff. It, it, as as a as a minister of the gospel, like scripture is going to speak most candidly, most clearly, uh, you know, with with the with the strongest degree of truth on these things, and uh, more so than our in, in in the last year experience has won the day um, across the cultures. And what I see with with CRT and with intersectionality is, well, it's it's fostering and cultivating hate. To me, like it's it's it, it's so splintering and dividing people and placing them in groups against other people, even in the church, that's kind of stirring up this this idea of of animosity and, and division and hate. And so that's one of the reasons I just I can't stand the system. But also, as I talk to white pastors across Acts twenty nine, who are not the leading voices of Acts twenty nine, they are paralyzed because they are part of according to intersectionality the oppressive class. They're, they're white, male, cisgender, Christian. Uh, when you, actually, when you read the documents from uh, out of, uh, I, think it was, I think it was University of Berkeley, but it's one of the California schools about critical theory in general. Mm-hmm. Christianity was the only religion that's part of the oppressive class in that. Mm-hmm. Like not, not Islam, not Judaism, not Because Buddhism, of how it was. Because of the ent- European influence. Exactly. Was, because yeah. of the Judeo-Christian influence on America. Yeah. And so these guys are going, I don't know to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act. I, I don't know how to address these issues. They're, they're messaging or uh, I'll put something up on, on social media when I was on social media. And, and, they're, and so what it's doing is it is, in my opinion, it's fostering more of a divide within the church when Paul says in Ephesians 2 that the wall has been torn down, this wall of hostility is torn down. Christ has made peace yeah. between those who are outside the, the Gentiles and, and the Jews in that context, those are very different cultures there. Um, it's it's reconstructing this divide. And so those are, we, we could sit here for another hour or two, which I'm sure- Which I'd be with, cool with. with I'm, I'm sure with, <laughs> Jeff would hate it, I'm sure I mean, with real, cool. all of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can hear the whole thing, but we can do yeah. like, you know, hours after dark. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but those, those are the five primary tenets as pushed forward by kind of the quintessential work around critical race theory in particular and how we deal with those. So this this really brings us to the issue of what are the we've talked some about the, some of the good takeaways, mm-hmm. some of the truth that we would see in critical race theory or at least some of the things they've brought in, but what are the dangers associated? What do you guys see as the primary dangers associated with without dismissing the fact that there is racism that exists yeah. without dismissing the discussion that there might be institutional or cultural racism kind of baked into society. Um, but specifically dealing with critical race theory, what, what would you say? What would you kind of 
say to the church, to the listeners, watchers today, are things that they should be looking out for? This, this is what really makes it dangerous. Yeah. So I'll start off. Um, the main one, and you were just talking about it a second ago, is the divide that it causes on a basis that I do not believe that scripture calls us to. So as I read from 2 Corinthians 5, of where we don't regard according to the flesh, again, in Ephesians speaks of Christ breaking down that dividing wall. And again, in John 17, Christ's prayer for us to have unity amongst one another. And so the basis which we should regard one another is believer, not believer. And that should be the primary thing. And critical race theory is calling us to do that by race. And so that's a problem, an issue, and ultimately is going to lead to, if not already, um, all kinds of different issues and problems because my primary identity as a believer is not as a black man first, but it is as a Christian. And every, every other thing is filtered through that understanding as a believer and not the reverse. And that's where I've seen some guys that I've listened to from the past and even here now where it's moved from my primary thought processes as a black man and then how do I interpret my Christianity through that? And that's where it becomes a problem and, yeah. you know, whatever the means that we can use. Yeah. No, spot on. Um, your identity is in Christ or not in Christ. Yeah. You know, um, we all are created in the Imago Dei. But how we understand why we're here is whether or not we have been quickened by the Spirit. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, as we start to talk about what do you do in the church? Like with so many issues, I think this is an issue because the church hasn't taken the lead. It hasn't it hasn't stepped into this role. Like we're so mad at Planned Parenthood for trying to push, hey, look, Planned Parenthood wants to eradicate people who look like me. Right. Sure. That was the sure. founding <laughs> yeah. of why it came. But what they have been able to do beyond that in providing access for people in communities that don't have it, you know, I mean, their intent. They meant for evil. And I think in God's own way, he's used it for good, where people are getting access to healthcare that they wouldn't get normally. We are upset about, about the baby being killed. And I, trust me, I'm completely against abortion. That's not what I'm saying. Sure. The issue is why that kid get pregnant in the first place, out of wedlock, or in some other situation where they're not in a position where they feel they can have a child at this time. That's what we need to get to. And now we're just trying to deal with the, the symptom of what's going on rather than dealing with the actual issue of what's going on. And, and that's a change of heart. And so if we would start, if the church would be the church, sure. would be the people who are stepping up and saying, you know, this kid looks like they're lonely. Let's find someone to go mentor them, someone to spend time with them so that we aren't just driving in and driving back home and not dealing with anybody who lives around us. If we don't step into that, other people see this. Sure. And I think because there is a sense of the Imago Dei in each of us, there's there's a compassion that's there. Like, hey, I see someone's there. Now, again, that was not the intent of why they started, but people have been in there who care for other people and are doing things for other people. So while we're there as a church, if you want to find out how we need to stop these things, lead. To, to me, I 100% agree with you guys on the identity. I think... From, from what we said today, I think CRT actually fosters sin. I think it fosters increased racism, in, in my estimation, and how we view people and how we marginalize people more. I think morality becomes an issue. Um, when I say morality, we've, we've already mentioned it a couple of times, but MLK was really big on the content of character. And now it is assigning motivation, racist motivation through CRT to people. And that becomes kind of the original sin, like the, the biggest sin. Um, knowledge is another thing with CRT. It's very subjective in nature and not, not anything wrong with subjective knowledge, but it is subservient to objective truth of scripture. And then finally is salvation itself, especially in the church. Salvation has become so watered down and distorted, distorted among so many branches of Christianity mm -hmm. today that social activism becomes a gospel unto itself, yes. anti-racism, which sounds good. Um, I love one, one scholar I wrote it down here. He said, if you want to start a revolution, come up with a slogan that no one can reject. And that's what's happened today, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, who can reject Black Lives Matter, social justice, anti-racism? All these things were like, oh, of course I'm anti-racist. Of course I believe Black Lives Matter. But there's something under the surface of a lot of these things mm -hmm. that you're going, okay, hold on a second. What do we mean by that? Yeah. And so um, when we talk about salvation, it is good to be out in society. It is good to be fighting for true biblical justice, which always has social ramifications to it. Yes. But while clinging to the gospel yeah. and not, not those things, those adopted preferences becoming the gospel in and of itself. So let me just, we're going to land the plane here. If Christians refute 
Christians in the Southern Baptist Convention just this week, and many, many evangelical leaders are now starting to to kind of pull the reins back on reactions they had last year of going, okay, hold on a second. Like, yes, we need to fight for for unity in the church and for the wall that Christ broke down to stay down. And but if Christians refute CRT, is there Maybe there's not, but is there a social standard or philosophical theory that can help or be helpful to Christians in addressing racism in America? Shane, you've mentioned several things. The church needs to be proactive. You're, you're saying the church needs to be proactive in this, uh, take the lead on this. Is, is there something kind of tangibly you'd point people to or, hey, this is a great resource or theoretical construct that would help them or, or maybe even principles to apply in dealing with this? First thing is don't run from the conversation. Sure. All right. And I think the church has done that too often is like we just say, ah, this will blow over. And, you know, one of the things that I think the church has tried to do is to be a thermometer rather than a thermostat. Right. We're trying to see where is it going or even just a wind signal, like say, where's it going? Okay, let's all right. Let's make sure that we're on the right side of where this is going or let's make certain that that our people kind of know what temperature they can go to or what it can kind of be like, rather than saying, no, this is what the Bible says, mm-hmm. and this is where we stand, and this is why we stand here. As you talk about what can we give people, I think, and I know it's going to come across as very simplistic, but it's truly believing in the sufficiency of Scripture. Because if we truly believe that the Bible can teach us all that we need for life and godliness, then we will return to it. We'll filter everything through it. This will be our guide. This will be our understanding of how do we have better relations with one another? Because ultimately, as we're talking all these things, the best that we can do upon this earth is having people being pointed to a good understanding of scripture and living that out. Because even with all the different reforms, the different access, ultimately, we're trying to get people towards that end, at least from the Christian perspective. Obviously, if you have a different worldview, atheists or whatever it may be, that's not your end. You rather for people to have a good life on this earth. And so for me, my solution for people will be much more towards a better understanding of what does scripture have to say about these topics, because that is what's going to help people to be able to look at somebody and say, all right, the Bible tells me my identity is different. I understand this is who Christ is. This person is my brother and is my sister purely because they identify with Christ. They're a believer. No matter how much I feel about them, same with my natural brother and natural sister, I didn't choose them, but we were born together. And so because of that, I have that better relationship with them and being guided by the Lord, by his spirit to be able to care for one another better. And so that's for me, the biggest thing, what I would recommend for people on the most practical level is truly believing and trusting that the Bible is sufficient, because I know it's so easy to look for things that are novel and new and say, all right, there's this new theory or there's this new idea. This is the way you're supposed to solve this issue. And that, you know, that kind of way is supposed to solve. But if we truly just come back to and say, God has shown us how to live this out. He's broken down the dividing wall. He's shown us how to live um, amongst one another and living that out and practicing that instead of trying to look for so many different other places to find answers to questions that the scriptures answer Mm -hmm. point blank and clear that there is no mystery to how we should be amongst one another. So that's big for me right now is just having people come back to a real understanding of what does the scripture say about these topics? Yeah, I I agree. And, And just kind of to wrap it up, the... I think there are some good resources out there that help to yeah. educate and help to instruct and would be beneficial to people. And we can tag some of those in the podcast notes more than anything else, even as we educate ourselves on the issues that exist today, even as we instill hopefully in our children, strong Christian values of true love, which mm-hmm. love is very distorted as we often talk about mm-hmm. here in our culture today, but true love, which is speaking the truth, which is truly caring for those who are in need. And uh, we, we have to return to the centrality of not just the gospel message, that's critically important, but the gospel is the, the message of reconciliation to God, but the Christian principles of how we treat one another how we care for one another, how we celebrate differences, yeah. uh, unless they're sinful differences. So one of the, mm-hmm. one of the issues with yeah, CRT yeah. is that is that some of the differences are God given, uh, gender, um, race, uh, ethnicity, yeah. nationality, immigration, all that stuff, and others like sexuality and transgenderism. Yeah, right, all yeah. these things are kind of being tagged onto that. And so we need to think critically of how to how to separate these things and celebrate what God has given us, and love one another across boundaries. And seek the unity that Jesus prays for in John chapter 17 and direct people again and again to 
the word of God and to living out, not just knowing. Yes. That's one of the biggest problems, especially in the reformed circles today, in which you and I at least run in, the Acts 29, Gospel Coalition Reformed Circles, is there's this weighty head knowledge of yep. what I should be mm-hmm. and what I know to be true and actually practically applying that. And I agree with you completely, Shane. Like like Christians should be rising up to to face the foster care epidemic yeah. that's in America and mm-hmm. adopting children, leading the way in these and, and Maybe it's not for everyone. I get that. Mm-hmm. But there's there something is for everyone yes. to be proactive in meeting the needs that are pervasive in our society today. And so pointing out the wrongs, thinking through things like CRT, very important, but then pushing that, which is right. There's not enough of that today of pushing forward the scripture, the truth of, of the word. Um, and so that's what we would encourage. I appreciate you guys tuning in today. Shane, yeah. thanks so much for being on the pleasure. podcast, man. Absolute pleasure. Enjoyed Definitely the com- conversation. Boogie, always, man. Yeah, it's awesome, it. bro. It's good to be back. Awesome. Good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.